Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Everybody, Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. This is Front Row Knowles, and this is Florida State Miami Week. KJ, need we say more? You, you need not say more. Uh, I can remember uh, as a freshman, uh, and, and I had no appreciation for the, the FSU-Miami rivalry. And we go out for Monday's practice, and all I heard was Miami Week, Miami Week, Miami Week. It was not referred to in any other way than Miami Week. And that left a very, very... Um, a strong impression and then a few weeks later i got to florida week and it amped up even further but you get the point are you flying the storm warning flag at your house right now keith or is that only at the practice fields i fly nothing associated with the hurricanes and i don't i don't even have i i don't even spell ibis with a capital i understood understood uh, we spell Joe with a capital J, and Joe Zagaki's the longtime voice of the Canes. He's going to join us in our next segment. We catch up. Uh, we see him a couple times a year when FSU and Miami are playing or at ACC events. But uh, obviously this week he's coming here. He's been at this a while. And then Kurt Weiler, our Osceola insider. So we'll get the Miami and the Florida State perspective. Uh, in its simplest, very simplest terms, Keith, and this is true of college football in general, you can, you can have 21 pretty good frontline starters, but if your quarterback can't play, you're not going to win a natty in, in college football. Conversely, you can have some so-so starters and a quarterback can erase a lot of deficiencies. And right now, that appears to be the biggest edge FSU has going into this game. My fear is simply one where Van Dyke, who we saw two years ago as the ACC Offensive Rookie of the Year and projected to be a first-round draft pick, I don't want the FSU game to be his coming-out game two years later. That's my fear. I don't know how healthy he is. I know there's some issues relative to decision-making. Uh, at least from the Miami, Miami fan base, but but I don't want Saturday to be his new coming out party, and hopefully that won't happen. Yeah, I agree. He can save that for Louisville next week. All right, Joe Zagaki joins us next. This is Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. We do this uh, get-together. We're really uh, pleased that uh, he's willing to join us each and every year. The longtime voice of the Miami Hurricanes, Joe Zagaki, is on the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And uh, good to see you, Joe. Hope you're doing well. How are things? Yeah, so far so good. Grinding through a football season. Looking forward to, uh, to Florida State and Miami. It's always my favorite football week of the year, no matter the records. What number game is this for you? Not just as the voice, but just being involved with, because I know it, it predates your days, uh, you know, when you were working with Sonny back in the day too. Yeah. This would be uh, for Miami and Florida State. I think this is my, we had one bowl game. So probably 36th or 37th Miami and Florida State game. Wow. That's amazing. Well, and Keith, Keith, you go back further than that, I guess, from your playing <laughs> days, but uh I think we all appreciate what this rivalry has been over the years. And uh, I think a lot of us long for what it was certainly in the, in the late eighties, early nineties, or maybe the early two thousands. Why don't you give us uh, you know, just kind of what you see from your program first. I mean, I, I know 
what the record is, but haven't watched Miami very very closely this year in year two under uh, Coach Cristobal. I think actually, despite the record of six and three, they've made significant progress. Uh, I think he's done a pretty good job uh, remaking the roster. And, you know, let's face it, they should be seven and two. You know, they, they blundered their way through the Georgia Tech game. And uh, you can't get that back, but that, that's a game that you just gave it away. You just gift-wrapped it away. So um, they're good enough to have a 7-2 and two record. They might be good enough to be 8-1. Uh, and one. Probably could have, could have and should have beaten North Carolina State the other night. Um, so I think they made good progress. Uh, specifically, what keeps them in the games are, are the trenches. They're really good on the offensive line. I think they've only given up 11 sacks, so they can run the ball really well. Uh, the shocking thing is when the game was on the line the other night, whenever the game has been on the line this year, they put it on the shoulders of the offensive line. They needed six inches. They got three, but I think they blew the play. I don't think they ran the right play. And then uh, defensively, I think they're getting better and better. They're eighth in the country in sacks. Uh, they have 30 sacks this year, and they are playing probably – without their two best defensive linemen, which is a shame. Nigel e. Kelly and Akeem Mesidor. Because I would like to see that defensive line with the guys that they have. Ruben Baines had a great freshman season. Uh, two quarterbacks got beat up the other night against North Carolina State. I think one, I think Jane Davis is okay. Not sure about Daryl Porter. But their defense will keep them in games. And, you know, I'll wrap it up with this. There's a, the, the disparity, Vegas says there's a big disparity between Miami and Florida State. Probably rightfully so. Nine and zero, six and three. The biggest disparity, I think, is that wide receiver and quarterback. And if you were to tell me at the beginning of the year, going into the ninth game of the season, Miami was going to have a quarterback problem, I would say no, I don't think so. But here we are, and they've got a quarterback problem. And, and Joe, that leads us to the question, and and we won't know it in midweek. We'll probably only know it at game time. But but who's going to get the most snaps? I mean, you've got a kid that two years ago was rookie of the, in the in the league. You've got a freshman quarterback that came in and, and obviously showed his talent, though he doesn't have much experience. But that's going to be the focus. That's where everybody's going to yeah. be looking, at least early in the ballgame. Yeah. KJ, I don't know. And um, I've, I've been around long enough. Tom asked me how many what game is this for Miami and Florida State. I've been around long enough where I've seen, you know, Chris Wanky, I didn't think he was going to play. And I think his, his ankle was in a paint can or something he played. But I've been around long enough to know that uh, come game day, if there's a change, the answer is going to be that guy gave us the best chance to win. And if there's not a change, that guy gave us the best chance to win. That's going to be the answer. So as it stands right now, I would look at it and go, okay, Emory Williams beat Clemson. Tyler Van Dyke played really well against Texas A&M. And as you just pointed out, rookie of the year, Emory Williams at his best right now. I'm not saying he's not going to get become a really good quarterback. He's a freshman. He's played one game at his best might be at Van Dyke's worst, which is the, a tough pickle for Miami to be in, which means they're both about the same. Uh, now Van Dyke, maybe you look at him and go, okay, is he completely fried? Because he's not making good decisions. He's making, you know, Optimus League decisions, throwing the ball in the red zone at the uh, at the pylon instead of at the back where it's either Miami 
catching it or nobody else? Or do you hope like hell in this game he gets hot and plays like he did against Texas A&M? I don't know. All I know is they can run the ball, but that's not good enough because North Carolina State let him run the ball the other night. They rushed three, dropped eight, said, go ahead. You're not going to complete a pass. You can run all you want. And the problem with Miami in the backfield is their longest run of a true running back is 36 yards. Bashar Smith housed it against Clemson, but he's, you know, one of those multiple guys. He plays wide receiver and plays a little bit of running back. So if it's not on the other team's, the opposite side of the 50, it's tough for them to score quick. Joe, if you knew the answer to this, you probably could help Miami out. But what's happened to Tyler Van Dyke? I mean, is it injury? Is it changing offensive coordinators? Is it getting hit too much and just losing confidence? Is it all those things? I I don't think I think it's more, you know, psychological than anything. I think teams have gotten into his head, and maybe he didn't expect it. I don't know. He was he's a good quarterback. So if you're a good quarterback, the opposition's not going to stand pat, right? They're going to throw everything they have in the kitchen sink at you. And that's what they've done. And Miami's right into some pretty sophisticated uh, defensive approaches, probably some really good defensive coordinators that have had some older players in the secondary that have been able to do a very good job of disguising. And what I see is hesitation. They have caused hesitation. And if you blink and hesitate, you're going to be late. And that's where he is. And now some of it's the wide receivers. You know, there are a couple of plays where wide receivers haven't helped them out. And if a team's going to rush three and drop eight, he's going to stand back there and pat the ball, pat the ball, pat the ball. Well, your receivers can't stand still. Do something. Don't give up. You got to run around, come back, redirect, do whatever. And against North Carolina State, I think I saw too many times wide receivers not hustling enough to help their quarterback. I do know this, Joe. Uh, both teams can play defense, and yeah. Miami can play defense. I mean, we we may end up with an, a very uh, uncharacteristic low-scoring game come Saturday. Your thoughts? <laughs> that, that would be funny. Uh, it's possible. Uh, um, you know, Flo- Florida State in totality, their offense just has so many weapons and so many different dimensions to it. Um but that being said, Miami's defense, again, Ruben Bain's been great. They got this kid, Maui Noah, in the transfer portal, middle linebacker. Didn't have him last year. He's made a huge difference. You got two really good safeties back there, Cam Kitchens and James Williams. Th- those guys are going to be busy if uh, Wilson and Coleman play. I would suspect that, you know, Cam Kitchens and James Williams are going to be part of some kind of double on those guys. James Williams is probably the only guy in the country that can jump with either Coleman or or uh, uh, Johnny Wilson because James Williams is six foot five, and Miami's very physical on defense. I don't think it's a coincidence that after Miami played North Carolina, Drake May had his worst game. After Miami played Clemson, they lost again to North Carolina State, and after they played North Carolina State, MJ Moore said, "I'm not playing anymore. I w- I'm going to redshirt." So I think they're physical. And um, if Miami's going to win or keep this game close, it's going to be with their defense. If they can take the ball away, too. Say that last part again. You've got to be able to take the ball away. And, you know, Travis is not giving the ball away. Two two interceptions. 
that'd be fun to watch. Cam Kitchens has three interceptions in each of the last three games. And uh, Miami does a good job, I think, with their pressure of hitting the quarterback, uh, forcing the ball free. Miami's upside down on the, on the turnovers, but they've really forced a lot of turnovers on defense. It just shows you how poorly they've been on offense to be upside down. How many, just thinking it through, I don't have Miami schedule in front of me, how many mobile quarterbacks have they faced? Mm, let's see. Well, I thought the quarterback, I could probably grade him. I thought Drake May was the best quarterback Miami has faced. I thought Wigman at Texas A&M was really good. He was a mobile quarterback. Uh, Haynes King at Georgia Tech, uh, mobile quarterback. I'd probably have him number three. I thought he was really good. Uh, Klubnik, I thought he was behind those guys. MJ Morris, he really can't throw the ball in the ocean, but he can run. Uh, he, he just gets the ball to Concepcion, you know, uh, so they faced, I think, five mobile quarterbacks, five or six. And I think they've done a pretty good job of hemming most of those guys in. To we be, always to be talk fair, about Joe, it. Raleigh's pretty far from the ocean, to be fair. True. This is true. <laughs> guys, we always talk about it. And, and obviously, we got wide right one and wide right two to talk about. But would and can special teams maybe play a a little bit bigger or larger role in the game Saturday than maybe has been the case over the last 10 or 12. Well, it has to for Miami, KJ. Now, your guy, your punter, Master Mono, has been around for a long time. And he can punt with both 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 legs, right? He's righty and lefty. So he's ambipedal. Miami's punter has been very good. Not great, good. 41, 42 yards. He's done the job. But uh, he's a freshman. He's never been in this game before, and he's one of those guys that runs sideways. So he's got to be careful because I'm sure Florida State is studying exactly how far he's going so that they can put him under pressure. Borregalis, he's every bit as good as uh, Fitzgerald. Borregalis has missed two kicks all year. He's got range to 55 years. 55 years. Got range to 55 yards. He's got confidence of a 55-year-old, but he's got deep range. So I'm not so worried about him. He did miss one last week, but I think he's 16 for 18 this season. He's been very good. Miami's return game, Rashard Smith, excellent in the kickoff return game, punt game return, kind of non-existent for Miami. Now, Florida State's kick return game has been very, very good. So Miami's got to keep an eye on that because that leads you to field position. No question. Uh, all right, Joe, away from the game, I don't know how much you can comment on this or not, but Florida State obviously has not been shy when the league has gotten together and had meetings about the future of the conference and distributing dollars and, and voting against having Stanford and Cal and SMU join the league and all that. And uh feels like Clemson and Miami have been on the same side, but it, it, I don't hear a lot coming out of Coral Gables. Is it just because it's the middle of football season or do you have a sense for what the, what the feel is uh, out in Miami? Well, you're right in my wheelhouse, Tom. I'm not going to speak for Miami on this one. I, I don't know how they feel. I know how I feel, and I know how most of the Miami fan base feels. And I think the ACC got a lot of a lot of making up to do with their partner down here because it's been tough sledding, and I don't know that Miami's ever felt any love from the ACC I don't know that the ACC, especially in football, has really helped Miami at all. 
And uh, some of these games, you watch them and you go, are they trying to push into the Big Ten? I mean, you know, that, you know I kind of I don't want to drift into that officiating thing, but some of the officiating is just flat out horrendous. It's just makes there's no common sense to it. But um, I just I, I just felt for a long time, and I know Miami fans have felt for a long time, it's been a Carolina centric league, and there's no way that Miami can make up that money disparity the way it stands right now, much like Florida State or Clemson. And Miami's a private school, so there's just no way uh, the way it stands that they can make up that disparity unless, uh, I guess, unless they're running the table every year in football. Um, you know, Joe, it, it, it's interesting. As, as, as heated as the rivalry is, as, as intense as the rivalry is, uh, the FSU-Miami rivalry has also been a rivalry of respect. Yeah. I mean, kids, kids respect the other team. They just don't like them. I would hope, Tom and I have talked about this a little bit, not much, but I would hope that whatever happens, that the administrations of Miami and Florida State can find a way to work together. Because I think it would be a really, really sad day if FSU ended up in one conference and Miami ended up in another. Yeah, I think that would be that would that would be. Now they did co- they did coexist before, right? When Miami was in the big yeah, East. but we're in a new environment. We're in a, right, new, we're environment. a new environment. And really, to be honest with you, I mean it's it's right in front of us, right? The, the, you can see where this is going. Uh, it's the television networks, in my opinion, ESPN and Fox. I don't know if they are co-conspirators, partners, or enemies. To be honest with you, but to me, it looks like they're going down the path uh nba and nfl and not everybody is going to make it and i think from a miami and florida state perspective that both of those uh universities are really attractive for whatever the super two is going to look like and uh, i think that miami and florida state will be together and i think that their rivalry will continue and i think that there is one particular conference out there that would love to have both of them right now if they could if they could figure it out and uh i don't think that conference is the one that is uh, regionally closest to us but i think there's another conference out there because of miami and florida state's value with television and um you you got to believe in this era of nil that miami and fsu are going to do really well and i've already seen it i already i've already seen it uh, i know that our our fan base wants miami to be there right now but i can see what's coming in talent wise and where it is coming from and where it was not coming from prior to where we are today so i think miami's going to be back in business roster wise in the not so distant future now can they keep everybody together that that's the big thing florida state kind of kept their roster together but uh, i think miami and fsu to get back to your question, KJ, I do think they'll be together. I think it's going to be a great rivalry, and I think there's somebody out there that would really love to have it. Um, and I think the ACC, I don't want to get in trouble here, but I think the ACC's got a they're, – they're, they're, ban- they're banking on that grant and rights. But for something that's telling me, that it's not going to hold. Time will tell on that, Joe. we got to get running for this segment. But uh, we always look forward to catching up, enjoying your company, except for three hours and 20 minutes, uh, one <laughs> fall Saturday every year. Happens to be this Saturday, but I'll see you at Doak uh, over the weekend.
All right, look forward to it. Thanks for having me, fellas. All right, more Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Always enjoy catching up with Joe, Joe Zagacki, the voice of the Canes, and always enjoy catching up with Kurt Weiler, our Osceola insider this week, as we keep the Earl Bacon Agency hotline open. Kurt, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. It's Miami week. It's always a good week. Well, we asked we asked Joe this question, and he's at 36 or 37 FSU Miami games. How many is this for you? Not that many. Probably, in terms of I've been at, ooh, I would say probably 10 or, 10 or 12. I haven't been at every one since I, I've been at school since 2008. That's when I came as a freshman. I haven't been at every one, so. Okay. EJ, which is your favorite FSU Miami game, by the way? Because I don't know if you have experience before you got here, but you at least to the late 70s on this rivalry. Well, uh, you know, my, my first game I didn't play in, but I was a freshman in 77. Um, but candidly, the, the my favorite Miami game is one that I didn't play in, and it was Coach Bowden's first year in 76. When they went down to Miami and got blanked, what was it, 31 to nothing? And immediately, Coach Bowden uh, instituted, um, we're going to play the the young guys and not the old guys. So they go to Oklahoma, and they start seven or eight freshmen on both sides of the ball. They lost that game, too, but it was just indicative of the mindset that Coach Bowden and that staff had uh, relative to all right, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna change some things, and we're gonna go with the young guys. So, as weird as it sounds, uh, that '76 Miami game is probably the one that I point to that that really talks about the change in attitude. It's, it's, again, as crazy as that sounds, Kurt, Miami uh, is six and three coming in. Florida State nine and zero. Your initial reaction when you saw the spread was about fourteen and a half or fifteen, or just your initial thoughts on this matchup before you dove in. I mean, I think it's about right when you when you look at kind of I would say compare the teams. The weird part of that, obviously, I mean, right, the you how do you factor the rivalry of it all into the spread? Because I feel like that can at times make games closer than they should be. Because I think Florida State probably is about fourteen points better, especially at home than Miami. But weird things can happen in rivalry games. I mean, they, they the whole throw the record books out thing is a cliche, but there's it's said for a reason. There is some truth to it. You know, the, the kids know each other, the vast majority of them. They either played against or with each other. Um, it, it, it has connotations, particularly when it comes to social media and, and communication. You used to have bulletin board stuff, you know, 25 and 30 years ago. Uh, now they, they talk to each other in bulletin board style. Um, it's, it's kind of unique in many respects. The Florida rivalry, the FSU-Florida rivalry, People don't appreciate the fact, certainly Florida State fans don't, that from its core, Florida's chief rival is Georgia. It is not Florida State. At its core, Miami's chief rival is Florida State. And that makes a, just a little bit of an edge of a difference. Agree? Disagree? Have you, have you processed that? It's. I feel like that's a depends what what age of fan you ask. I think some fans would say that it is Florida because that's the age they they grew up in when that was more of the rivalry than than Miami was. If they're 
maybe on the on the younger side where Miami hasn't been, I mean, nationally relevant. If they grew up in the 90s, I'm sure they would probably agree with you, but it's interesting. I don't know. I, I, the, well, the other thing, Keith, I was going to point out, you mentioned the respect between Miami and FSU. Uh, Miami is always happy to point out that the Gators dropped Miami from the Gator schedule, whereas FSU and Miami continue to play annually. Uh, so I think we we got that in our corner. This game, the, the, the Miami team, uh, and we just had Joe Zakaki on. What Joe said is, uh, in essence, and, and KJ, jump in if I'm not stating this correctly, but he felt like Miami's made a lot of strides and that the biggest difference uh, in terms of segment groups on these two teams is at wide receiver and at quarterback. He feels pretty good about where Miami is in the trenches right now. Got really good safeties. Um, but but I guess I, I guess put another way, you'd rather go into this game with Jordan Travis than what Miami's looking at at quarterback right now. Maybe that's the simplest way to put this. No, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, you look at Miami's sack numbers, you look at their tackle for loss numbers. I mean, that is, they, they have upgraded there on really on both sides of the line. I think their offensive line is much better too. Kind of, that's not the problem with the offense, but yeah, it's weird. I mean, we, Florida State's coaches did a lot of talking up of Tyler Van Dyke this week at the start of the week. They've done it really through, throughout the week so far. And I know, I mean, Mario hasn't, committed to Tyler even being the quarterback per se. And I, I find it hard to believe they would throw a true freshman at Emory Williams into this rivalry in Doak Campbell. That seems like not a recipe for success, but it's also hard to argue that uh, Tyler Van Dyke's had some major turnover. I mean, he leads the ACC in interceptions. He has 2,000 yards, which is great. He also has, I think, 11 interceptions, which is, I mean, a 16 to 11 ratio is not cutting it. When you compare it to what? Jordan Travis has has two interceptions. I mean, that's yeah, and, and receivers too. Obviously, it's a question how how close to 100% is Florida State's wide receiver group? It seems like they're going to get some guys back or they're going to get all the guys back. But even if they only got a few of them back, I think that is still yes. And, and, and frankly, against a Miami defense that has been good in the trenches and has also allowed a lot of explosive passing plays. The thing that is intriguing to me, guys, about this, however, is Van Dyke, given that, if you talk to the NFL scouts, they're going to discount those those turnovers. They're going to talk about what his upside is. And what that says to me is, if he's healthy or healthy enough, where's the game in 2023? We know what he did in 21. He, he was rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year. But in 23, where's the game where he breaks out and you don't want it to be Saturday in Doak Campbell Stadium? Well, the yeah, game no, might have come. I mean, go ahead. Yeah, go, no, I was just gonna say the game might have come earlier this year because he played well against Texas A&M and m did not play bad they, against Carolina either. They put up forty-eight. He had a bad pick, I think, against Carolina in, in a bad moment of that game. But I think he did. I mean, he threw for a lot against that that defense. I mean, it's interesting how how does Florida State's pass defense handle this? They've had the run. I mean, I know uh, how to. I don't know how to pronounce this. Below last week for Pittsburgh, threw from where he was. He broke the streak of. Uh, what was it, four straight of 150 or less passing yards. But in terms of talent, and maybe even wide receiver talent, because I know they have Restrepo and they have a few other guys who've been promising younger players, this is one of the tougher passing offenses or could be one of the tougher passing offenses Florida State has faced. And, I mean, I think I, I, it's it, it almost doesn't feel like it, but, I mean, Florida State, I think it tied for James Madison with the national lead in, in pass breakups with 53. I looked this up earlier tonight. They only have six picks. They, they kind of you would expect them maybe have more interceptions, as many passes as they've defended, as they've they've broken up things like that. So I mean, this might be a game if if he has the the issues again. Maybe Florida State could 
could take advantage of that and maybe it gets away from Tyler Van Dyke. But the talent is most definitely still there. I mean, that's been the message from Florida State's coaches all week. Not looking at the box score, but didn't he throw three picks last time he was here in that that game that FSU ultimately won? He threw a couple of them anyway, because FSU got out to a big lead, had a bunch. Maybe he fumbled well, once on a Jermaine and, Johnson strip sack, and he also had the uh, the spike with less than three seconds that like you he 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 might have to know there like I can't do that. Have you taken a moment to reflect on where we are right now compared to two years ago when Florida State needed a fourth and fourteen miracle to get a win over Miami at the end? And even even scoring from the two wasn't easy. It took like three plays, I think, to get in. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, that is. It's it's hard to entirely call that full on a turning point because a few weeks later they they lost to Florida. They didn't go to a bowl. Like you know, that wasn't when things like fully fully turned. I think you might make the case for maybe LSU last year for that, or somewhere around the start of the 2022 season or the end of last year. Maybe maybe last year's Miami game. But it is crazy that, I mean, they're going for this week now. This will be 8-0 in ACC play if they win. I mean, they haven't done that in, in, in almost a decade. I think this would be the 10th time they've they've done that since joining the ACC about 30 years ago. And, yeah, it's it's crazy that, I mean, here we are, four games away from talking about Florida State back in the playoff. Hey, Tommy, isn't it interesting? We, we have the voice of the Canes on in the prior segment. we got uh, Kurt Weiler with the Osceola uh, on top of his game. And we haven't even mentioned the implications for the college playoff. We've simply talked about FSU versus Miami. If that's not a commentary on this rivalry, I don't know what is. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I can remember you played in them, Keith. The, the late 80s, early 90s, uh, it was, I don't know, it was kind of like the LSU build up the last two years, only it was every year that way, Kurt. And that's not even doing it justice because the Miami FSU was even bigger back in those days. For uh, sure, for sure. You know, it was it was unbelievable. So, to your point about the playoff, I, I know I haven't brought it up because I'm of the opinion that if FSU wins out, they're going to be in the top four and I'm not going to sweat it. If they lose, that's a different story. But, Kurt, do you guys agree with that sentiment? Yeah, I mean, I think to me that Florida State being four each of the last two weeks, even though I think we would agree. I mean, Georgia's schedule is finally starting to heat up. Michigan has its first real test this weekend. But Florida State being where they are, even though they're undefeated and I think had a better resume, especially at the first week relative to Michigan and Georgia, I'm not confident that they would be in. They would need, I think, some other chaos, a good bit of other chaos to happen to maybe potentially get in as a one-loss team so yeah I mean I think uh, I, I, I I definitely agree if they win out there is there is because the most unbeaten power conference teams there could be at this point are four and those would be the four like you would no no one-loss team gets in over an undefeated power five team Kurt we haven't talked about it but a quick a quick comment about what do you think was the biggest takeaway with the pit win for Florida yeah. State as a program you can look both sides of the ball on the, on that one for sure. I mean, I think what the defense did, I mean, we've seen the defense a few times lately. I think it's been pretty encouraging that the defense has shown, hey, on a day where the offense, and there are reasons why the offense maybe didn't score as much. There's a reason the 30-point streak ended with all the guys that were out. But we've seen the defense a few times lately. We saw it in the Syracuse game for a while there in the first half when Florida State was struggling to create separation. We even saw it some against Duke. I mean, with 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 especially after Duke scored early, I mean, they – they they didn't score a touchdown in the final how long of that game after scoring an offensive touchdown that is after scoring on the in the first drive, so I think I mean I, it's encouraging I think that the defense has shown regardless of the opponent that pit offense is not very good has shown an ability to kind of 
carry the load. And it, this isn't purely a team that's carried by its offense, like I would say Washington is. Um, as for the offense, I mean, 24 points is what it is. I think you might have had 31 if uh, if the turf's a little better and Conrad Hussey doesn't slip. The interception sure looked like he had a lot of green grass in front, green grass in front of him. But what the, I mean, points aside, to be down Keon, to be down Johnny, to be down Deuce Span, to be down Hakeem Williams, almost all your height at wide receiver. I mean, you're playing Jakai, who I know a guy you love. That must have been great for you, KJ, on Saturday seeing that. Except him outside. Him wide out. Keep him in the slot. Keep him in the slot. Well, but they had to last week, and you understand why. But they had 500 yards of offense. Yes, only 24 points. I think you really missed Johnny and Keon in the red zone. That was, I mean, that's where you're going to miss those guys. But to have 500 yards of offense against anybody when you're down that much is is impressive. And, I mean, that speaks to how far the depth of this team has come. And just, I mean, they're not going to win a national title if they were without those guys. But not a lot of teams could handle that and still win, especially on the road against a conference opponent down that much. Maybe it speaks to Jordan Travis who is yep. still just kind of hanging on in about the fourth position if you look at the odds to win the Heisman. And uh, I'd love to see him get to New York, but it feels like short of him throwing for seven touchdowns in one of these last couple of games or something that just becomes the top story, uh, you know, throw for five and run for two or something against a rival. I, I don't know that he can get all the way there, but separate that, uh, he's damn sure competitive. And, and uh you know, if he gets a win this week, he'll be three and zero against Miami as the starting quarterback. I know he was he lost the the first year, the COVID year, but he wasn't the starting quarterback for that game. So not a bad legacy, receiver, I think. Yeah, yeah, but just to think about that game and Norvell couldn't even coach in person that game. If Florida State could get a third in a row, it's it'll be something. All right, so you got you got the Knowles winning, Kurt? Yeah, I do. I haven't come up with a score yet, but yes, I I, I think I just I, I can't believe that I'm going to see enough from Miami. I don't know if they can keep up scoring-wise, and their defense can keep Florida State down. All right, so uh, we'll put you down for 3-2 FSU in our little uh, pool here. Got it. All right, Kurt Weiler from the Osceola. We appreciate it, sir. Thanks, guys. More, more Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. On Front Row Knowles, a few minutes to go to finish things up. Appreciate the insight from Joe Zagacki and from uh, Kurt Weiler on this one. I haven't stopped to count how many Florida State-Miami games this is uh, for me, Keith. But I will say that when I look back at the most painful one that I recall, which would be wide right one, it has to do with what was at stake. So people will always argue for the game that maybe hurt them a little bit when they were in school or they were at. But to me, like the 2000 game, for example, that was a missed kick, right? And FSU lost the game, but FSU still played for the national title that year. Correct. Different story that they lost to Oklahoma. But to me, that Miami game doesn't stack up at all to wide right one and two because it didn't prevent FSU from playing for a national title. So I'm saying that all all to say there's a little bit at stake for Florida State right now when you're 9-0 and going into this game. And, and there's really not much of a room for effort. If, if FSU loses to Miami, the the road to the national championship takes a U-turn. Uh, you you probably can't even get there with some help. So that's the significance of it. Um, our younger fans, uh, those that weren't around in the in the late eighties and early nineties, you know, uh, they appropriately and understandably don't have an appreciation. Our older fans, 
they they still uh, cringe when you mention uh, wide right one and wide right two and and those types of things. Those 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 losses still resonate. They're still painful for for long term Florida State fans. And uh, again, as we talked about, you know, the rivalry with Florida is is really based on not liking them very much. The rivalry with Miami, you don't like them, but you respect them. And I think that's what differentiates the two, uh, at least from a Florida State perspective. Going back to Joe's comments, and uh, I haven't watched a ton of Miami this year, but I know it's true that they're much better at the line of scrimmage. He talked about the physicality that Miami brings to a football game. Florida State is probably more physical than what the scoreboard might suggest because Jordan Travis and the offense get a lot of credit. They're scoring 30-plus points, and you might say they're not physical. But I think his point is a good one, that Florida State needs to come out from the get-go and be the more physical football team. What Florida State has done in the past, and we've talked about this, is they've come out, they've been hit in the mouth, and they've responded. You don't you do not want to wait to get hit in the mouth by Miami before you respond. Uh, you want to be the hitor, you don't you do not want to be the hitee in this game. And so yes, from from first snap, doesn't matter what side of the ball, from first snap, Florida State needs to establish, you know, coach Norvell uses that phrase the physicality, the physicality. We used to talk about being physical. You remember that? That was the phrase. We got to go in this game being physical. Now we talk about the physicality. Well, however you frame it, Florida State needs to be it before Miami is it. Frame it the way you did. Be the hit tour and not the hit tee. I think that's exactly the Miami defense. So Mario Cristobal, as most coaches are wont to do, not very forthcoming when he just gets asked about injuries in his press conference. A couple of weeks ago, he was asked the Tyler Van Dyke with his knee wrapped up, and they asked him about it. This was on Monday. He said he's fine; he'll play that week. And that's the week that he didn't start, of course, because he was too injured to play. So this week, and I wasn't watching the full game against NC State, but both of Miami's starting cornerbacks left the game with injury and did not return. What it sounds like to me is that they're going to get one back, but I don't think they're going to get Daryl Porter Jr. back. And that's a complete assumption on my part because I was watching the game when he went out and they had two trainers carrying him off the field and he didn't have any weight going down on that. Yeah, both both of their corners are very good. And as Joe talked about, their safeties are outstanding. So if they're down a corner, that means they still got three of the four. And those three might be might very well be as good as any four others that FSU has faced. It's a Miami team that wants to run the football behind a much improved offensive line that's been infused with uh, help from the portal. And so that's another place where if you play this game from ahead, it takes them out of what they want to do. It's what FSU wasn't able to do against Pitt last week until late in that game. Once Correct. they got there, Pitt couldn't run its offense. And now, Van Dyke, to your point, throughout the show much more capable than the kid Pitt is starting at quarterback right now to get hot and make some throws but I still would rather be playing from ahead let verse and and the the rest of the d-line pin their ears back and just tee off on van dyke and not be in a situation where you've got to play catch up you, you just can't play from behind against a, a team like miami in my opinion the college football playoff rankings came out last night we addressed it very briefly with kurt florida state is is still fourth 
Uh, I, I do think, you know, I, I don't even know that you can worry about style points. You just got to worry about winning football games. When I look every Saturday, every team, highly talented or not, has been in a dogfight. Ohio State, they were losing to Rutgers at half. Washington was in a battle tied with USC for a while. I mean, it picked the team. There's There's been struggles. So the objective this week is very simple. Have more points on the scoreboard than Miami does when all is said and done. I said prior to the pit game that it was very important for Florida State to have some style points. They didn't have them. I'm not going to say that anymore going forward. Just win the ball game. Just win the ball game. All right, folks, we're done. Join us for our recap. We'll get that in your podcast feeds on Sunday, and we'll be back next Wednesday. Until then, enjoy the game this weekend. He's Keith. I'm Tom, and this is Front Row Knowles.